0: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You can be seated. Oh, it's awesome. Thanks for coming back out tonight. You're not going to regret it. We're going to have a lot of fun. If you're the type like likes to follow along in an actual Bible, Numbers 15. We're going to get there. In a second, we're going to talk about the riveting book of numbers. It is going to be awesome, awesome. We're going to tie it forward. Um, um, As always, um, our resources are out in the foyer. 100% of that profit goes to the poor and the afflicted in our world. And so um, you can pick those things up, CDs, DVDs, USBs, direct, direct downloads, Everything you buy has a USB in it, so you get it in all the formats no, no matter what you do. But I, I need to ask you to do me a favor, right? Because here's what I've noticed about this church. If, you, if I've only been here one day, and it, you've been so gracious and so kind, and I've loved it. I've, I've loved it, okay? Here, here's what I've noticed, though. You guys have a real chatting culture afterwards. Now... I think that's amazing. I think it says something about a church if, they, if everybody leaves as quick as they can, right? Uh, the fact that you guys actually like being around each other is awesome. So here's all I'm going to ask you to do, okay? If you know that I am not going to get anything, right? God bless you. I'll see you next time, okay? If you know before I leave I'm going to grab something, if you could do me a big favor, if you could buy first and chat second, that would be <laughs> awesome, and the reason is, is, is because, no, it's not for me, it's, it's I, have, I have three volunteers here who are volunteers, and I, there's no reason for them to have to stand for longer than necessary, and I have to pack it all up tonight. And take it with me to Rotorua tomorrow, okay? So, so I'm going to be in Rotorua and then Taronga and then, and then I'm back at this place. So I, I just, I, you know, just, just to, for expedient's sake, if you know you're not going to get anything, I still love you. God bless you, okay? But if you know I am going to get something before I leave tonight, if you could buy for, here's the order, buy, then chat. <laughs> buy, <laughs> then chat. And then, we're, well, and then we'll, we'll get through it a, a lot better. All right, so anytime I speak, I want Jesus to get bigger. I want the cross to work better. I want the resurrection to be central. I want scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I want people talking about their Bible more this week than they would if I had not opened my mouth. That's the idea, okay? So we want, we want to create more discussion, not less. So I want to talk to you tonight about the riveting topic of, of fashion. That God, God gives us this command about the clothes we wear, and I want to tie it forward to make Jesus... Uh, Bigger. Check this out. This is Numbers uh, 15. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, Throughout the generations to come, you're to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. And you're going to have these tassels to look at so you'll remember the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you'll remember to obey my commands. And be consecrated to the Lord your God. For I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. For I am the Lord your God. I want you to make tassels. And I want you to attach it to the corners of your garments. Which leads to all kinds of questions like, why? Why would we do that? And God says, so you'll have it to look at. So you'll remember the commands of the Lord your God. This was a command because human beings actually benefit from tactile reminders of certain things. We're very tactile um, people. So so, so there's all kinds of key words here that are going to come back to play. So so I want to show you the key words. Next slide. So, So here's some key ideas. The first one is kanaf. Now, with some go all blacks gusto, I want you to try to say that with me. Kanaf. Let's try that again. Ready, go. Kanaf. Now, kanaf is a corner of a garment. Now, there's 8,000 words in Hebrew. There's 80,000 in English. It's a very primitive language. So one word has to have a lot of different connotations. So the word kanaf can mean border, corner, hem, or it can mean the wings of a garment because you can spread it out. Like, it's, it's a kanaf. So, so he says, I want you to take tassels and I want you to attach it to the kanaf of your garment. So the word is kanaf. Maybe the most important word we're going to learn tonight is the word talit. So with the same amount of all black gusto, let's try that together. Ready, go. Talit. Let's try that again. Talit. Now this was a talit. Now talit was a garment, but 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 literally it's a piece of clothing, but metaphorically and symbolically it represented the presence of God to the people. Here's the reason why. This is a microcosm. It's a small, exact-scale model of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, right? That this is exactly what it looked like, but they would put it so people could wear it. Now, you guys have good cameras here, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, sh- I'm gonna put that up for, for the camera. This, this is what that looked like. It, it's sort of like this the, the, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies in their mind um, held the presence of God. But no one ever got to see that. It, it's sort of like this H- How many men in New Zealand wanna drive a Ferrari? All of them. How many of them can afford to drive a Ferrari? None of them. So what men do is they buy little scale model Ferraris and they put it up on their mantle. And in some small, weird, male ego spot, it's like I own a Ferrari. Now, that's what this was. So they made these garments. If if you'll excuse me just a second. I'm going to try to put this on smoothly. All right. So this is they would wear... This idea, now now you you see this all over the scriptures, put on the garment of praise, wear the presence of God. The idea was, is that you can't organize your life where God is here, but not there. You can't do that. You can't, as a matter of fact, in the Hebrew language, there is no word for spiritual. No word at all. If you ask a Hebrew person, how's your spiritual life going? They, what? What are you talking about? The whole thing's spiritual. What are you talking about? You can't can't organize your life where God is here, but not there. God is with you wherever you go. Everything you do, everything you say, everything. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah, how you treated the waitress when she took too long to take your order, that, that is spiritual. How you treat your husband when he leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time, that's spiritual. How you treat your wife when she disappoints you, that's spiritual. Whether you choose to intentionally harm somebody or not, That is spiritual. How you treat somebody that cuts you off in Auckland traffic, that is spiritual. That is spiritual. That is God is with you. Everywhere you go, everything you say, I realize you live in a city that whoever designed the roads thought no one would ever show up. I did it. I get it, but how we treat other people is spiritual. In other words, it is harmful to our life to organize our life where God is here but not there, that God is with us wherever we go, everything we do, everything we say. We put on these things. Now, two other words that are gonna come back. Now, this, let's remind ourselves because I don't want you to forget this. This garment is called a talit. Let's try that again, talit, and it meant the presence of God. Now, two other words that'll come in later is the word tameh. Now the word tameh is unclean. So if someone was considered unclean, like a leper, they would have to announce that. They would go tameh, 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 unclean, unclean, unclean. And then of course the opposite of unclean would be clean. And the word for unclean is tahor, tahor. Now I realize in English that sounds like the unclean word, but nonetheless, it's that's, 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 that's that. So you got tameh, and tahor. Now, so God says, I want you to put tassels on the corners or the kanaf of your tali. In other words, it's not enough to simply have the presence of God. Everybody's got the presence of God in some measure. They're in God's world. They're held together by God's name. They're held together by God's breath. That Christ is all and is in all things, and in him all things hold together. It's not just It's how we carry the presence of God. What do you do with that? And he says, I want you to put tassels on the corners of your talit. Let me, let me show you this. Next, next slide. So the tassels. Thank goodness for good cameras. Because this, this is a big crowd. So if you just, you could pay attention to the screen. I'm going to hold this up. That is a properly done tassel. I bought this in Jerusalem, okay? That's a properly done tassel. As you can see there, there are five knots in that tassel, one for each book of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, right? So it wasn't just the presence of God, it was the Word of God as it is attached to the presence of God. It's carrying the presence of God in conjunction with the Word of God. Like, p- too much spirit without it being grounded in something in the Word, that is, that is is willy-nilly stuff, right? It's the presence of God as it is attached to The Word of God. But as you can see there, there are five knots. One for each book of the Torah. There are also four spaces between those five knots, one for each letter in the holy name Yahweh. Yud, hey, vav, hey. Yud, hey, vav, hey. Now, if you know anything about Hebrew, you know you can't say that word. Those consonants don't go together. That'd be like me saying, my name is, right? Right? It's like, what? you What? Yud, hey, vav, hey. Yud, hey. So the rabbis were like, what is this name of God? And one rabbi said it this way. The name of God is actually breathing Yud, hey, vav, hey. A later writer said it is the name of God that holds our life together. Isn't it interesting that the first thing a baby has to do when it's born is it has to breathe. It has to say the name of God. And the last thing you do before you die is you take your last breath. That as long as we are here, we are held together by God's name. The name of God was defined in Exodus 34. He is the Lord, the Lord. He is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness. They use that all over scripture, sometimes positively and sometimes negatively, like Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. For he is the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God, who does not treat us as our enemy, as our as our wickedness deserves, but gives us mercy that's new every morning. It's also used negatively by Jonah. Jonah's like, I knew it. I knew you were going to forgive the Ninevites. That that's why I ran. I hate them. I knew you were a compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness, God. Right? So Jonah had to learn that God is not nearly as interested in getting his enemies as, as Jonah is. And, and God is more gracious. So sometimes it's actually the kindness of God that we find the most offensive, especially when it's about our enemies. So it's it's not just the presence of God. It's the word of God. And it's the name of God. It's carrying ourselves with compassionate, grace, slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiveness disposition in the first century they had a word for that they called it the disposition of messiah or in the name of jesus christ it had to do with being compassionate gracious slow to anger abounding in love and forgiveness in other words you can be right but be wrong at the top of your voice right that that is that's the idea so it's not just the presence of god it's the word of god and it's the name of god okay so this tassel takes 613 loops to make There's exactly 613 commands in the Torah. In other words, it's not just the presence of God, it's the word of God, it's the name of God, it's the ways of God. But if you look at a properly done tassel, it always comes off at the end with eight strands. In their world, eight was the number of grace or new beginnings. It was the number of fresh starts, second chances, clean slates, and the opportunity to write a better story. In other words, there was a reminder, even in the clothing, that it's not just the presence of God. It's the word of God. It's the name of God. It's the ways of God. But it's always the grace of God when we make mistakes. And so God says, I want you to put that on the corners of your garments. Why? To look at. To look at. So here's what they would do, right? They would put on their garment. And then they would take the tassels and they'd wrap it around their hands like so. And they would remind themselves, God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways brought me from Egypt to Israel. God's ways are the best ways for my life. And they would remind themselves of that by looking at the tassels so that any time before you sinned with your hand, you had to physically unwrap God. This was a deterrent to prostituting yourself by going after the lust of your own hearts and eyes and to follow after the ways of God. Now, there's all kinds of imagery around this in the scripture. Remember there was this one time Jesus said, beware of the Pharisees who wear their tassels too long. In, in other words, beware of people who are too loud about how close they are to God. Normally they're not. Like, like that, and that's my experience as well. If I come into a church and someone I've never met walks up to me and goes, Hello, I'm the prayer warrior here. <clears throat> normally not, right? Right? Because why? Because the, normally the prayer warrior is somewhere p- praying. Right, right. In my experience, prophets don't announce themselves as prophets. The real prophets are the ones everybody else is telling you about. Somebody just comes up, I'm a prophet. Eh, Not normally. Not normally. Jesus says, beware of people who wear their tassels too long. Beware of people like that. Remember, there's this one beautiful poem, and it says, under the shadow of your wings. Wings, the word is kanaf. I mean, does God have wings? No, no, no. The word is kanaf. It's an imagery that's Jewish in nature. It's it's under the shadow of the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God, under the shadow. Of your wings. Oh, Remember, like there's this one time where there's this guy named David, right? And David kills a giant. gets very popular. Everybody except Saul. And he's running from Saul, right? And he ends up hiding in a cave. And it just so happens to be a cave that Saul chooses to use the bathroom in, right? So Saul goes in there to use the toilet, right? And it says that David snuck up behind him and cut off the kanaf or the corner of his body garment, right? So he cut off the corner of his garment. Well, think about it. If Saul's the king of Israel, what would have been attached to the corner of his garment? Tassels. David cuts off his tassels. Saul finishes his business and goes out in the light and puts his garment back on, and he would have reached for his tassels only to find the corner of his garment is no longer there. And David is standing in the distance, holding the corner of his garment. Now, and it says Saul saw it as a reproach. Of course he did. What's David saying? David's saying the presence of God on your life I didn't give it to you, nor can I take it from you, nor can I touch it. That is God's business. I can do nothing about the anointing that is sitting on your life, but I can give commentary that the way you're carrying it stinks to high heaven. Yes, you have the anointing of God, but you've lost touch with your tassels, bro. You need to get them back. It's it's that it's that sort of idea you see this all the, now an interesting prophecy comes about right now this is in the last book of the old testament it's right before the whole thing closes out about how to recognize messiah this is malachi chapter 4 verse 2 check this out but for you who revere my name the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings the word is enough. In other words, you can tell who Messiah is by the way he carries the presence of God as attached to the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, and the grace of God. You can tell who Messiah is by whether or not there's healing in the corner of his garment. Mark chapter 5 this interesting story comes about that centers around a synagogue ruler named Jairus. Now, there's a synagogue ruler named Jairus, and evidently his daughter is very sick. Now, let's talk about this before we go into it, right? Because this is a long passage. I'm only going to read a part of it, and then I'm going to tell the rest of the story, and then I'll come back and read other parts of it, okay? But right here, because this is very, very important. Mark chapter 5 centers around the story of a synagogue ruler named Jairus. And Jairus' daughter is very, very sick. And if we lose sight of the fact that Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus's daughter, we might lose the point of the whole story, because the next thing that happens is so ridiculous that sometimes we lose sight of the fact that the whole thing is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter, because Jairus' daughter is very sick. And if we lose sight of the fact that this is about Jairus' daughter, we might lose focus and stop the story in the middle. But the whole story is about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus's daughter, because Jairus' daughter is very sick, and Jesus was a man of compassion. So he's going to go pray for this little kid named Jairus' daughter, because Jairus' daughter is very sick. And so the whole story, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that this is really about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter, because if we lose sight of the fact that it's about Jesus going to go pray for Jairus' daughter, we might miss some of the main points of the story. So let's keep in mind that when we look at this story, the whole thing is about Jesus going to go pray for? Yes. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her. So she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So Jesus is gonna go pray for Jairus' his daughter. There's this little girl. She's evidently so sick, she's dying. And Jesus is taking compassion and he's gonna go pray for Jairus's daughter. Now, on the way there, it says a lady who had an issue of bleeding for 12 years approached them. Now, weird, right? Like who like 12 years? Like who knows that? And what if it was like 11 years and 9 months? What if it was like 13 years and 3 months? Like obviously there's something else going on here. Now, just some quick Hebrew hermeneutics, okay? Jewish people read the scripture through four levels. If you're a nerd, those levels are called Peshat, Ramez, Drosh, and Sud. If you're not, one, two, three, four. Now... The Peshat is just like the plainest thing going on. So the plainest thing going on in the text is there's a lady presumably with some female issue who has been sick for a while and she needs to be healed. That's the obvious thing going on. But the Remez is a hint or an illusion. And when the Jewish author uses the number 12, it's obvious. This is not just about one woman at one moment at one time. When a Jewish audience reads the number 12, they see 12 tribes. This is, uh, they see Israel. So in other words, in one sense, there's this one lady at one moment at one time who needs a touch from God. But in another sense, this is not just about her. This is about an entire nation who's leaking light and desperately, desperately needs a touch from God. It's about that. So this lady with an issue of bleeding, she begins to try to approach Jesus. Why? She knows the the prophecies. If he is who he says he is, if she can get to the corner of his garment, then there'll be healing in his wings. Here's the problem. You've got to understand their culture. See, we, we define sin very poorly. We define sin as when you do bad stuff. Okay. But sin in the scriptures is defined much more broadly than that. Sin was anything that wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, in Leviticus, here's a couple of scriptures for you. In Leviticus, it was a sin to have dandruff. (laughs) Why don't you check your neighbor right now and see if they're living in sin. Just check them, see if they need to... Shampoo a little better, you know? Hey, it was a sin to have any sort of skin condition. Hey, here's the thing. Ready? It was a sin to give birth. In Leviticus 12, it says, after a woman gives birth, she must bring an offering to the temple to atone for her sin of loss of blood. Because pain in childbirth was never a part of the original story, you had to then atone for it. Oh, oh, it, it was a sin to have a period. So here's what they did. Right, tame was the word unclean. Now, tame was very contagious. So, so if you had if you had a skin disease and I touched you, not only are you tame, now I'm tame. And so the religious leaders saw this is a great opportunity to profiteer on people's spiritual guilt. So here's what they did. They made all these extra rules so that people had more reason to come and buy their sacrifices. And they were taking advantage of people's spiritual guilt by profiteering on it. We would never do that, but that's what they were doing, okay? You must have missed the sarcasm there. Anyway, (laughs) so they would do this. So they made all these extra rules. Like, here was one of these, were extra rules. Not only is it a sin to touch a woman who's on her period, it's a sin to touch a chair that she sat on in the last three days. I don't even know how you live back then. Like, if you're here tonight, you're like on that, could you just raise your hand so we know not to touch you? That's weird, right? And, and if you're not willing to raise your hand, could you at least leave a note in your seat? Like, we didn't know that to touch the seat, right? It's crazy. Like, this was one of the extra man-made rules. It was against the law to touch furniture where a married couple had been intimate in the last three days. But what'd you do, put a sign up? Like, here's the thing, right? Like, I was preaching this one time in a pastor's home, and he made everybody get off the sofa, right? (laughs) He was 75, right? (laughs) Bravo. Here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. So in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is going to go pray for Jairus' daughter. On the way there, a lady with an issue of bleeding for 12 years, stop. Let's think about this emotionally for a second. First of all, if you're a woman, physically, if you've been bleeding for 12 years, how are you feeling? This is a dreadful situation, right? Now let's talk about emotionally. Let me paint the cultural picture. This woman would not have been purposely touched in 12 years. When she walks into a social situation, good-hearted people would have put their hands behind their back and stepped away. Not because they hated her. They literally could not afford the sacrifices necessary to continually touch her. Can you imagine the emotional pain this woman's in? The distress. This isn't stress. This is distress. And she hears, Jesus is close. I think he might be the Messiah. And there's one way to find out. If I can get close enough, To the corner of his garment. I can find out. Here's the problem. You're the social outcast. How do you get close enough to touch his garment? Hold on a second. I'm Tim A. No one wants to touch me. What you do is you put your elbows out. And you're like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, 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 excuse me. Right? Right? So, whoa. Right? You like her, don't you? Like, you like this woman, right? She reaches up. And grabs the corner of Jesus' garment. Now, she instantly gets healed. But what's important is that Jesus doesn't even mention it. Jesus actually turns to her and says, go in peace. Go in shalom. Go, this, this whole broken thing, go in wholeness, but he does something before that that doesn't fit anything. When Think about it. When Jesus heals people, what is normally what he says? Let's, let's keep this on the down low, shall we? Not this time. This lady touches him and he's like, who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. That is weird. That is not like Jesus at all. Jesus is breaking the way he normally does stuff. Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. Does that sound like Jesus? No. That sounds like Obi-Wan Kenobi or something. Luke, the force, has left. What is going on here? Now, here's the thing, right? Would first century rabbis have laid, would they have laid hands on sick people? Yes. But would they have touched them? No. But would they have laid hands on them? Yes. But would they have touched them? No. But would they lay hands on them? Yeah. But would they touch them? No. Right? Now, think about that till tomorrow. Now, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. See, for us in our literal world, laying hands on somebody is, (laughs) right? (laughs) And look, honestly, if you do that and it works, keep doing it. It's fine. Here's the thing. (laughs) Laying hands had less to do with physically touching somebody and more to do with imparting what's in your authority to impart, right? So follow me here. This lady with an issue of blood reaches up and touches Jesus. Jesus points out, hey, everybody, look over here. This lady with an issue of bleeding, she just touched me, which is culturally weird. Why? Because everybody in that culture is going to think now that he is... Yes, which is the gospel in a nutshell. The one who knew no sin is willing to become unclean so that the ones of us who are unclean can know some cleanness. This is the whole gospel in one narrative. She reaches up, grabs him. He doesn't mention the healing. He says, go in peace. He points out to everybody that that, that she just touched him. It's just an odd story. It gets weirder and it gets more tragic. Now see, remember, Jesus was going to go pray for? Yes. This major miracle is an interruption to his schedule. Which leads me to this one application point here. If God can't interrupt your schedule, you might miss some of the greatest things he'll ever do for you, right? It's a whole other thing. It's a whole other thing. But this thing gets tragic. Jerry's daughter dies. And watch how rude they are telling him about it. Watch this. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Okay, first, rude. (laughs) Right? Second, let's stop for a second and be emotional about this. Western people, they love doctrine. Where's the doctrine? Okay, we'll get there. Let's first feel the emotions of it. If you have a child How would you feel if your daughter had just died? Horrendous. Let's not miss that. Think about the emotions Jairus would have been feeling. Emotion number one, devastation. Number two, disbelief. Number three, anger. Real anger. Who would he have been angry at? No, no, not Jesus. You can't be mad at the Lord. What? No, he'd be mad at the woman. Stupid woman. Been bleeding 12 years, couldn't wait 20 minutes. Dad <laughs> Dadgummit, man. He was on his way to pray for my daughter, and you got healed of your little bleeding issue, and she died. If it wasn't for you, he would have made it to my daughter, you crazy, stupid woman. You've been bleeding 12 years and couldn't wait 20 minutes. Now, a couple thoughts about this, right? Why are they being so rude? Jairus, your daughter's dead. Why bother the rabbi anymore? Would you agree with me that's really rude? That's like blunt. That is really out there, right? Once again, we've got to understand their culture. In their culture, it was against the law to knowingly walk into the room where something dead is in there. You could not knowingly walk into the room or the presence of the dead. You can't do that. You can't knowingly walk into a room where a dead body is. So the synagogue ruler's got to keep that. Jesus has got to keep that. And so they're coming in sort of as the, as the doctrine police. Jerush, your daughter's dead. No reason to bother him. He's not even allowed in the room. Here's the law. The law said you could not knowingly walk into a room where a dead body is unless you're already considered unclean by the general public. Who touched me? Who touched me? Power has left from me. I need all of you to know this woman with an issue of bleeding, she just touched me. I need all of you to think I'm unclean. Why? They wouldn't have even let him in the room otherwise. What seems like a disruption to his schedule is actually the very thing that made the next thing possible. Right? (laughs) Right, right? And this is true in this story, is true in your life. Oh, Shane, I lost my job, I lost my job, I lost my job. Good! It's about time that you're gonna get motivated to start that business you've been dreaming about for four years and get off your butt and do something about it, right? Right, sometimes what appears like a disruption to the schedule is actually the thing that makes the next miracle possible. Now, Jesus covers all of his bases though, remember? He says, oh, she's not dead. She's just asleep. Wink, wink. <laughs> right? Right? Watch what happens. Next slide. When he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? Now, little girls just died. So people are going nuts. You know, The child's not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And they go into the place. Now, this is, like, really risky. Now, before we go to the next slide, I want you to remind yourself, what is this garment called? And say it with some all-black gusto. The word is talit. Ready? Go. Talit. Let's try that again. Ready? Go. Talit. Right. And in their world, the talit was the presence of God. You didn't have to explain that, okay? Now, watch. Jesus, if he's a rabbi, and he is, what would he have had wrapped around his hands? Tassels. Now, watch what happens. Next slide. And he took her by the hand. Hang on a second. See, in this story, in the first part of this story, you have a lady being healed by God because she's reaching up for him. In the second part of the story, you have somebody being healed by God because he's reaching down to them. Even after they're dead, he was still ministering. Even when there appeared no hope, Jesus was still coming. Sometimes you'll get a touch from God because you're desperately seeking him, but sometimes out of nowhere, God just touches you, right? In the first part, the lady grabs the tassels. In the second part, Jesus brings the tassels to the little girl. And he takes her by the hand, and watch what he says. And he takes her by the hand, and he says, Talit ha-kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. But wait a minute, the word he uses is talit. He says, little girl, let let me do it how their culture would have heard it. Little girl, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to arise. Little girl, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. I travel around this world. I could tell you that I came to this stage tonight to say one thing, to Ha, Hakum. My child, the presence of God is here. It's time for you to get up. <laughs> oh, but Shane, they left me, yes, five years ago. Get up! When you do wallow the rest of your life in self-pity? But Shane, the job, I know, get up. See, here's, the, here's my conscientious problem with this message. Is It would be irresponsible of me to teach this as some sort of cheap presumption upon the power of God. Now look, it is not my place to speak for the leaders here. And if I am outstepping this, I apologize, and I'm humble, and I, I'm not, but I'm pretty confident with this. If, I think, if you get lung cancer, we will fervently pray and believe God for you to be healed of that lung cancer, okay? But we would also much rather you quit smoking today than need a miracle in 35 years, okay, right? Like, if you have a financial need, we'll believe God for you. But we would also like to know that you're getting up before 10 a.m. and you're working hard and you're being diligent and you're getting, right? Right, in other words, it is irresponsible to presume upon the tassels to do something that we could easily do ourselves, right? That is irresponsible. I don't know if I'm getting this across. Maybe, um, maybe I can go Joyce Meyer on you, Okay. I love Joyce, here we go, here we go. Um, um, If it's within your power to change your life, you ought to get off your butt and change your life. Don't let me come back here next year and find you in the same place you already are. Get off your butt and change your life. Do something about your life, come on. Maybe you don't like Joyce, that's all right. Maybe Joel Osteen's more your vibe. I love him, too. You're a champion. God loves you. You don't let that devil get in your head and get you all negative. You tell him to go on back to hell where he came from. Me and Victoria, we was talking the other day about what daddy used to say about y'all. And y'all aren't just beautiful people. Y'all are champions. So the next time that devil gets in your head and goes round and round and round and round, you just reach deeper down inside of you. You become the champion God intended you to be. Whatever. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. If you live long enough, You'll hit a day, and you've taken all your medicine. It's not enough. You've done everything you can do to save the marriage, and they're still going to leave. You've done everything you could do for that 26-year-old child, and you've got to realize they're adults. If you live long enough, there is a moment where you've done all you can do. And in that is where we need to desperately reach up and grab the word of God, the name of God, the ways of God, the grace of God, the nature of God. There's just one more interesting thing in this story. Watch this. Next slide. And immediately the girl stood up. That's cool. And began to walk around. Oh, wait a minute. How old was she? Oh, she was 12 too. Oh. So the lady's been bleeding, ironically, just as long as this girl's been alive. Maybe they knew each other. (laughs) I don't know. I know it's not the point. The point is, is that this isn't just a story about one little girl and one lady. This is a story about me and you and an entire nation needing a touch from God. And she was 12 years old. At this, they were astonished. You reckon? And he gives strict orders not to let anyone know. Now that's the Jesus I know. Let's not tell anybody about this. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Why? Well, I guess raising from the dead, you have an appetite. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) But here's what I do know. I do know that there are those of you in the room, and it is well within your power to do something about your situation. Quit smoking. Get up before 10. Get a job. Right? Go get a skill to get a better job. Do something. But there's also those of you in the room. And that is your only hope. And so when I step off the stage, and I turn this back over to the leaders here, they're gonna have a moment where they'll have people pray for people. and you're going to do it, They're gonna do it, you know, this church's way. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna leave this here. Now, these are my tassels. I, I need them before I leave. And let me be clear. I'm not doing anything weird. This is, there's nothing inherently powerful. I'm not being tribal, you know. Now. No. Uh, But here's the truth of it, is if you can get prayer and you're not a tactile person, please do so. But if you find it helpful, after your prayer or before, to come maybe remind yourself, God's ways brought me from slavery to freedom. God's ways brought me from darkness to light. God's ways are the best ways, that you are my only hope. Why don't we just leave Leave it there. Let me, let me stop and let me pray for you. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We proclaim you king. There's none like you. And Lord, we, um, Lord, give us the courage to see things different, the irresistible urge to respond to what we see. Speak to us now. Lord, I minister the compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiveness, God. I minister that name across this place. Just let that settle over us now Just let that settle Slow Gentle Would you look this way Thank you so much For letting me be your guest this weekend You've been so kind to me And you made me feel like This is an Auckland home for me I really appreciate it I hope Jesus got bigger I hope the cross worked better Hope the resurrection is central. Hope scriptures got bigger for you, not smaller. I I pray that you understand that you serve a God who believes in you more than you believe in him. That the yoke of our rabbi is the hope for this whole world. May we commit our life again to that. May we be covered in his dust. May we know that when it's within our power to do so, the spirit empowers us to do so. But in those moments where we're at the end of everything we could do, may we know that there is still hope. And above all things, talit, ha, kum, my child, the presence of God is here. It is time for you to arise. Until I see you next time, grace and peace, everybody.